Welcome to episode 110 of McChesney on Chain, coming to you down here from 6-0 Football Academy in Parker at 10470 South Progress Way. This place kicks ass. Uh, we've been in here since 5 a.m. grinding. The film room has been rolling. We're going to be posting a bunch of stuff at 6-0 Academy on Twitter and Instagram about the lab and the progress and yada, yada, yada. We'll be talking about some of the kids uh, that have committed to the University of Colorado uh, later in the show. And when we talk about the bus and them wrapping up the spring up there in Boulder and the schedule uh, upcoming, which the schedule's down the road until like 2040 or dope. I just hope I make it to 2040 at this point. Uh, like I said, this is episode 110 of McChesney Unchained. That's 110 episodes. That's crazy. Uh, and thank you so much to, uh, to DNVR for all that they do. Remember, you can go to dnvr.com and check out everything they do down there at the sports bar in the studio. But like I said, we are on Zoom today. Uh, the great Mark Schlereth joins us today. And Stink and I are going to talk about, you know, the Broncos not going to OTAs uh, or not going to uh, the workouts until OTAs. And then the veterans not going at all. And there's some major beef and strife between the guys in the NFL who have bread and security and the guys in the NFL who are trying to earn it every day. And it, your mind changes once you get the bread. So we're going to talk about that. I heard about a lot about it this morning on 104.3, listening to him, and we're definitely diving into that uh, full speed. But I wanted to start the show off today um, talking to you about uh, our good friends at DraftKings, like we always do. Uh, DraftKings sponsors McChesney Unchained at DNVR, and uh, I've actually been killing it lately. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I won a 14 parlay on uh, – Division one double A football the other day, which some would view as degenerate gambling, but if you win, I view it as winning. So let, let's just be real. Uh, Mavistel and Usman put on a show on the last time they stepped into the octagon, and round two is sure to be uh, something that packs a punch. DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC, is putting you in the center of this weekend's title fight with 26 to 1 odds on either title contender uh, to reign victorious. Pick either the main event to win. Uh, during this weekend's fight, 261 UFC, or, or uh, excuse me, and DraftKings Sportsbook would give you 26 to 1 odds. Uh, just bet $5 on either fighter to win, and you'll be able to cash one, $126 on a $1 bet. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. Don't worry if MMA isn't your bag. DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions on basketball, hockey, and so much more. Like I said, Division One. Double uh, A football, North Dakota State, Northern Arizona. You're my dogs. Uh, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at convenience. Download the upgraded DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code DNVR when you sign up and turn five dollars into one hundred and thirty or one dollar into one hundred twenty-six dollars in free bets, and the title contender of your choice wins. Place your bet and watch the fist fly this weekend. That code is DNVR. Uh, it's for a limited time only at, at DraftKingsSportsbook.com. You must be 21 or older, Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Do you have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. 110 rolls of McChesney on change here on DNVR. Uh, remember, like I said, you can get everything at 60 Academy on Twitter and Instagram. And then also at DNBR Unchained uh, on Twitter as well. We'll give you direct access to the show and some sports opinions and whatnot. And I'll be throwing up some gambling stuff as we go. I can't wait for football season to uh, to pop off again so I can make some more money. I mean, it's like the McChesney Sportsbook around this some bitch. Like I said, Mark Schlitz is going to join us later uh, in the show to talk about the Broncos and whatnot. But I wanted to start off the show today with the Unchained rant. 
Jamal Murray going down. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time on the Nuggets, but shit, man, this, this is about as bad as it gets. And I, I can't sit here and complain about injury. Um, and I know that they were down against Golden State. Steph Curry scored 58 or whatever the fuck he did. And Jokic had a good game. But look, man, they were 0 for 12 in the second half from the three-point line. I understand the argument of why was he in the game? Well, he's in the game because you can score eight points pretty quick in the NBA, and he's Jamal Murray. Um, that's why. He's a leader. So that that argument's ridiculous to me, but I, I hear it. I'm just saying it's, it's ridiculous. Um, this is part of it. I'm not happy about it. That sucks. I hope he comes back at a, a, a blistering pace and healthy. Um, the the condensed schedule in the NBA and the back-to-backs is my fucking problem. You know, from a betting perspective, it's terrible because the numbers don't mean shit. NBA players can take a night off every night if they want to and still score 20. Um, the competitive nature of the games is dropping because of the back-to-backs and the number of them, and the injuries are up. Um, LeBron's hurt, AD's hurt, Jamal Murray's hurt now, and I think you're going to be looking at a playoffs where whoever's healthier is going to win. And this totally fucks Denver. I mean, this is bad. I will say this, though. Um, this gives Michael Michael Porter Jr. a really, really great opportunity to step in and be Jokic's sidekick and gives other guys a, an opportunity to step up. I mean, it, it's going to increase minutes for everyone. Um, will Barton has got to start making layups when Jokic speeds him the rock the way he does. I mean, that, that guy kills me. Never shoot the ball, although now he's going to have to. I think this is bad, um, but I still think the Nuggets can win a first-round playoff series. I do, unless it's the Lakers, unless they get 4-5 against the Lakers. Um, this is going – we're going to see the greatness of Nikola Jokic uh, come to fruition even more right now because uh, he's going to take this as this is my opportunity to go actually be the best player in basketball, even if he doesn't win the MVP, which I'm sure he won't, even though he deserves it, in my opinion. Um this is an opportunity for 15 to really go out and show what he is uh, even more so. And with Murray going off the floor, you know, I, I can sit here and bitch and moan about it, but we're going to see his true worth now because if Denver somehow gets better, it may be an opportunity to maybe look at, at, at making a, a change down the road too. And what you thought was your original big two and Murray and Jokic, maybe that big two becomes uh, Porter Jr. and Jokic. So this is going to be an opportunity for others to step up. Um, and and look, don't underestimate the importance of Aaron Gordon trading for that guy. He was the main guy in Orlando. He's out of there now. He's here for defense and all that kind of shit. But he's going to have to step it up too. And if you can get 18-20 from Aaron Gordon at good defense and, and rebounding and Jokic doesn't have to do everything, and then Nicole is going to pick it up, I mean, and I can I can sit here and give you the unchained rant about how shitty this is for Nicole or shitty this is for Jamal Murray, but um, I think that the the Nuggets are are now in an opportunity to take out this animosity from losing one of their leaders and young studs and Jamal Murray on the rest of the NBA. So there's blood in the water in both directions, and we're going to see really what this team is fucking made of, man. Do they have a backbone? Are they going to go to work and are they going to deal with the adversity, or is the adversity going to crush them? You can feel shitty for a day. I had a shitty day yesterday and come to work. I sat there and like felt bad for myself and shit. And this morning I woke up and I was like, fuck it, man, let's roll. And that's just the way the nuggets have to be. Fuck it. It's like the dude says, well, fuck it. That's your answer for everything. So, uh, yeah, that sucks. Um, 
the the Unchained Rant is brought to you by our good friends and neighbors over here, uh, Maven Hemp. And Jamal Murray's going to need some of that as he gets his recovery down from the the muscle rubs to the tincture that I was I took this morning, twenty five hundred milligrams straight to the dome uh, to to the the CBD pills. It's fire. They they have their shit together over there at Maven. Uh, from a post-workout ritual to pre-workout, just getting your body right and moving, especially for old guys like me. But even the young guys in here, uh, the NFL players, they're all maximizing that product. We obviously have it in store here at 6-0 Football Academy, but they are literally our neighbors. They share a wall. Um, they like the music, so I don't know about the people who moved here before, but these they, they dig the fucking tunes I'm jamming every day. So that's great. Um, it's a scientific innovation from Israel to Colorado that drives the process in creating this high quality hemp based CBD product. And there's a lot of guys that obsess over ingredients in the product and what goes into it and so on and so forth. There's a rigorous third party lab testing uh, to ensure you're getting the best quality possible. And it's something that I take on the daily and it's helped me a ton with anxiety and shoulder pain and back pain and, you know, arthritic pain and so on and so forth. Um, and just overall pain. So uh, go to mavenhemp.com and learn about the incredible CBD products and use the promo code 60SIXZERO. You'll get 10% off everything you buy. Uh, and I stand behind it, man. Uh, Maven and 60 Football Academy are, are moving forward to try and uh, help, help these guys recover uh, without some of the old school techniques, to say the least. So the Unchained Rant and Jamal Murray, they definitely uh, are brought to you by our good friends of Maven. And 270 needs to get down here and uh, get some of this muscle rub on that knee when he starts rehabbing it. So, all right, let's roll here. Um, I want to get into some some football stuff before we bring on Mark Schlereth to talk about the Denver Broncos and them not wanting to get involved in in-person activities at Dove Valley or UC Health or whatever they call that shit. Um, number one, Julian Edelman retires. He's not a Hall of Famer. I find it ridiculous that people think he is one. I mean, he's an NFL or Super Bowl MVP. He's got two rings. But if Rod Smith's not in the Hall of Fame as an undrafted receiver, Edelman was a seventh rounder. He played quarterback at Kent State. He had an unbelievable career. He's a ring of famer probably in New England, although they got a lot of guys like that. Um, you know, if he doesn't go to New England, he's another guy. He went to New England and, and filled the Wes Welker, Amendola role and, and so on and so forth, Troy Walters. And I, I think Edelman's a great pro. I think he's an awesome player. I love the way he plays. He's cut or he's, he's cutthroat on the field. He'll stick his nose in there and block people. He'll go across the middle. He'll take a hit and get up. He's smart. He's an ex-quarterback. Uh, he's a great player. He's not a Hall of Famer. And I find it ridiculous that people's criteria for the NFL Hall of Fame has fallen so far that Edelman's even considered. I find it disrespectful to his legacy to even bring him up in that fact, because then you have to kind of disrespect the guy to say he's not a Hall of Famer when he's an unbelievably good pro um, and great vet, but he even never even made a pro ball. So if he's never tasted pineapple before, uh, he doesn't get to go to the Hall of Fame, man. I'm just saying. We had Alan Fanick on, on the show like three or four episodes ago, and that guy went to like 12 Pro Bowls or some shit, made six all-pro teams or something ridiculous like that. That's the criteria for the uh, Hall of Fame. So um edelman great career bro uh, i i think it's absolutely awesome that you played with one team the whole time even though i despise that fucking franchise uh more than any nfl franchise although i know they win for a reason they're good and all that shit but 
I'm a Jet, Dolphin, and Bronco. I don't know if you're going to find three fan bases that hate them more than Buffalo. So I didn't play for them. I don't like them very much either. Uh, so that that is what it is. Um, next. Okay. So uh, lastly, Sean Payton um, is going to be portrayed by Kevin fucking James in a movie. Look, man. If I'm Sean Payton, I am so offended right now. Kevin James is a fat guy. Sean Payton isn't a fat guy. What the fuck? Who did this casting? Like, we can't get Aaron Eckhart or somebody, the dude that played Two-Face. He even looks like Sean Payton. He can't, he can't do it. Kevin James is going to play Sean Payton? And I, I was listening to, to Schlera talk about this the other day on, on the fan, actually, before we bring Mark on, and he was deep. He text Sean Payton and he was like, how do you feel about Kevin James playing, playing you on TV? And he was like, you know, they could have gotten something like Matthew McConaughey or something. And Payton just wrote back like, ah, you're the best. Ha ha ha. But I know deep down coach Payton, who is probably super OCD is like taking it to the heart. You think I look like that fucking guy? What? That's like trying to get, <laughs> it's like trying to get David Spade to play me in a fucking movie, dog. That's the worst casting job fucking ever. It's terrible. Terrible. Can you see David Spade portraying me in a movie, walking to the gym like, okay, guys, uh, yeah, what is that, white mud? You're like, yeah, it's white mud. I'm the only one that found white mud. I know that's Farley, but he's there too. It's gonna work. This is this movie is going to be. I don't even know what it's about, but Kevin James playing Sean Payton not gonna work. So uh, yeah, that's gonna be terrible. I give that shit two thumbs down. So episode one ten of McChesney Unchained rolls here. Um, we are going to bring on Mark Slareth now, and Mark and I are gonna talk about the Broncos and Drew Locke and shit like that, but specifically. Um, what I'm about to read you, because I'm not going to read it when he's on. We'll just get it out of the way now. So this is the statement uh, the Broncos players released when they decided not to participate on Tuesday uh, with the pre-work before OTAs. You know, the OTAs are still open. And I was in here with Quinn Bailey this morning. He was boxing and he's still going to the facility. So this is truly man or uh, voluntary, but it, it's going to be extremely difficult to get anything done if you don't go to the facility. Everybody's not just going to show up at a field and run it. You need coaches. So this is the uh, statement from the Broncos brass. And when I say brass, I mean the top 15% of the roster, the guys who make all the money. This damn sure isn't the statement from the guys who want to fucking make the team and are fighting for jobs. That's for sure. Uh, playing in the NFL is a dream of the players who work tirelessly year-round to perform in America's greatest game. With off-season programs starting in less than a week and without adequate protocols in place to use for us players to return safely, we will be exercising our right to not participate in voluntary air quotes, off-season workouts. COVID-19 remains a serious threat to our families and our communities, and it makes no sense for us players to put ourselves at risk during this dead period. Talking about some college terms. Positivity rates in our city are at higher than they were at this time last year. Uh, yeah, that's because at this time last year it just started. Of course they were higher, and they're not even that high. Everything's opening back up. Just that's some hypocritical bullshit right there. Um, positivity rates in the city are higher at this time uh, now than they were this time last year. We know players have been affected by club facilities, uh, have been affected at club facilities around the NFL in recent weeks. Despite having a completely virtual offseason last year, the quality of play across the NFL was better than ever by most 
every measure. Horse shit it was. Uh, we hope players across the NFL work with our union as we did to get all the facts so every player can make an informed decision. So we're going to bring Mark Slarathon now next on uh, episode 110 of McChesney Unchained. You can follow him on Twitter uh, at Mark Slareth. Uh, and, and Stink is going to give us his opinion on this uh, this shit here. So let's get into this. Episode 110 rolls. Bringing on Mark Slareth to talk about your Denver Broncos. And episode 110, which has me on chain rolls here. Uh, and it is my honor and pleasure to bring on uh, Mr. Mark Schlereth. And, and, and Stink is going to join us here for the next 20, 25 minutes to talk about not only the Broncos not going to the offseason workouts and the reasoning behind it. He had a very strong opinion this morning on 104.3, the fan, which you can catch him on every single morning. And we'll talk about Drew Locke and some other things Broncos concerning. And then as an ex-Jet, um, I, I'm going to talk to him about him flipping off the entire uh, gangrene nation, which I thought was awesome. Uh, and I love football. And it's the only place you can get away with that kind of shit is, is if you're a football player or on a football field, it's incredible. <laughs> uh, so we'll talk about that a little bit too. But Mr. Mark Slater joins us here uh, on episode 110 of McChesney Unchained. Mark, what's happening, brother? Welcome to the show. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Always good to catch up with you, Matt. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm excited about I'm excited about being part of it. All right, so this morning I'm driving into to the grind here, and we just got done with the 5 a.m. group, and I was driving back to make uh, some messages for my boys and take them to school, and I was listening to you and Mike Evans talk about the Broncos veterans essentially putting this this letter out. And I already read the letter to Unnamed Nation here on, on DNBR, and uh, it, it is what it is. You know what it says. I wanted yeah. to get your opinion as a, a multi-year vet in this game that that was a, a what your twelfth round draft pick or something like that. You had to tenth rounder, claw, yeah, fight and yeah. claw for everything you got. Your three rings, your illustrious career, everything was because you're a tough some bitch and you went to work every day. And I agree with you wholeheartedly, brother, that this is really, really selfish by the veterans. And I, I wanted to get your elaboration on that. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because on its surface, when you read it, um, it just doesn't feel right. And I think I think, you know, there's there's a there's a lot of layers to what's going on in the NFL right now in regards to labor peace, in regards to the collective bargaining agreement, in regards to we as players. And, you know, this, and I'm part of it, too. We've never had the balls to stand up to the owners and hurt them. Right, so we get the little like uh, the movie of Braveheart. We grab the sh- uh, the traps off a of Longshanks table. Yep. Like we fight for whatever we can get, and so there certainly feels like there's a part of this. Um, we're not coming in, you know, because we don't want to come into the voluntary stuff. And we've opened up Pandora's box last year, being able to get this done via Zoom. And you know, this is a veteran player. And you played a long time, you can do it on Zoom. If you're in the same system, you can. If you're a young football team, it really hurts the young guys. And if you're asking young guys to walk away from uh, roster bonuses or walk away from workout bonuses, you know, if you're a fat cat that's making $18 million a year and you're saying don't go, that's a hard thing to do. That's not really what's going on here. Matt, you know, it's, it's funny because I talk to organizations, teams, I've become, as, I, as I've worked for Fox, I've become very good friends. I consult for a couple of teams. Um, 
I've been big, become very good friends with many GMs and, and many head coaches around the league. And ultimately, um, I think one of the issues the Broncos face right now is you write, you know, a very eloquent statement. And the bottom line is you're trying not to hurt anybody's feelings. And the statement that you put out really, really shines a bad light on you as players. Terrible. And yeah, ultimately, here's the problem that the NFL is, is facing right now and the teams are facing. Um, the league doesn't want to have anything to do with setting protocol. So you're getting no leadership from Roger Goodell and the league. They're basically saying, hey, this is not our, our baby. This is your baby. Every state is an individual state with different protocols. So you guys put it together. So now the individual teams are not getting any, they're not getting any counsel or they're not getting any, you know, standard protocol from the league. So they say, hey, we're opening up, you know, April 19th. We'll see you guys here. And the players are, are going, we don't know what's going on. Like if we come in and have to spend an hour testing and, you know, we're not giving you another hour on top of the four that we're supposed to be here. We need some standards. And the teams are going, well, we haven't talked to the league about it. And so there's this roundabout kind of, you know, nobody knows what the other guy is doing. And from a player standpoint, and I understand this part, I want to know, I want to know what the protocol is. I want to have, and you know how it is as a player, man. You know, one of the things I love, one of the most satisfying things in the world about playing for 12 years is getting an itinerary every Monday, right? <laughs> I miss it. Like, <laughs> right. And, and you know, and you realize once you're done playing, you have to grow up and you've got to live without an itinerary. And that's really hard to do when every day of your life you've been an itinerary and, and it says, hey, this is what I'm doing at 12. This is what da, 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 da. And it's all set up for you. And you fold it up, you put it in your back pocket, and you check it seven times a week, you know, um, because you know, you know it. And, and right now, all the players are saying to the organizations is, listen, I'm not showing up here until you actually give me protocol. What's required of me? How much of my time is going to be spent? What are the proto what, what are the testing? What do the testing look like? All these different things. And, and again, this is a lack of leadership from the league in general to each individual team. And ultimately, if I was counseling the players for the Broncos, you don't have to be contentious. All you have to say is we don't have the we don't have a standard protocol from the league nor from the team. And when we get that standard protocol, we'll review it and then we'll make a decision. But until we get that, we can't effectively show up until we know what's going on. The league's principle or the league's thought process in this is, hey, just show up and we'll figure it out when we get there. <laughs> right? It's probably it's probably it's the it's the problem with the Broncos running game. Just show up. We'll figure it out when we get there. Yeah, if you I don't have an listen, if you don't have an identity, if you have to scheme your running game every week, you know what you don't have? A running, running game. game. Right. So I love it. Like for me personally. I know or I knew when I was a player, whether I was with the Skins or whether I was with Denver, second down and two, before they even called the play, I knew what we were running. Third down and one, I knew exactly what we were going to run. I understood what we were doing, and I called the plays, you know? I mean, that's how that's, – that's the identity that we had. 
when you're just trying to figure out week in and week out and you're trying to scheme a team based upon what they play, you don't have an identity. And then your players, how can you ever become good at anything when you don't have an identity? And that's all the players are really asking for. Tell us what the, tell us what we're getting into. Um, now, I don't think they word it very well. And I think they, it was terribly you, worded. Yeah. You're never going to win. You know this. You'll never win as a player because people look at you like you should just be thankful that you get paid a lot of money to play a game um, that we played for free when we were kids. And the point being is that if you're good enough to get paid to do something, you're not doing it for free. So shut up because that's not happening. I agree with that wholeheartedly. All right. So so look. I think the identity problem starts with DeMore Smith. And I think he's a puppet for the owners. And mm-hmm. the owners the owners being so chubby with the union president who's supposed to be advocating for the players is, is not really what I'm looking for as a member of the union. I'm sure you feel the same way. Um, I wanted to get your take on DeMore Smith and what you'd like to see from, a, from our union president, our union president. Mm-hmm. Um, but also at the same time, at what point do you think the players will actually stand up to the, the owners? I, I understand that not everybody has the money to sit out, but there's this thing it's called the off season. And back in the day, like players used to have jobs in the off season. And if you can humble yourself enough to like have a, another hustle, if you're a young guy, um, well, then maybe we might be able to strike and set the tone with the owners. And then, I wanted to get your opinion on why they don't do it for real from a guaranteed money standpoint, but that that'll be later in the show. Okay. Well, I, I would say, I would say I've had several conver- uh, conversations with D Smith. I sat on a plane with him um, before the last collective bargaining agreement. Um, well, the 2011 collective bargaining agreement, I sat on a plane with him for three hours um, completely against the rookie wage scale. Thought it was the dumbest idea that I'd ever heard of. Um, I mean, you think about it. You're a running back. You're, you're, you know, your career expectancy is like at six years, you're washed up. Never going to get they, paid. Right. <laughs> they've got you for, they've got you for five years. I mean, come on. And, you know, my, my whole point to DeMoris is I used to go to this bar in Alaska called Chilku Charlie's. It was a real roughneck bar, right? And uh, their motto was where we cheat the other guy and pass the savings on to you. And I, I was like, I was like, DeMorris, if you think the owners are going to save millions of dollars on the rookies wages and then pass it on to the veterans, you're just dumb. Like that ain't going to happen. And, you know, it, it continue. Like my whole premise on this was you're going to continue to divide the haves from the have nots. And I want some rookie to get paid through the nose. They can't play. You know why? Because when I've earned it as a 10th rounder, that's the starting point of my next contract negotiation. Yep. And, and so, you know, I just, I just looked at some of the things that we did as a union and I shake my head. You know, I have had this conversation with Morris. You guys, you know, you guys are never organized enough to kick the owners in the nuts. I go, if you really want to hurt them, walk out before the playoffs. Say, here's the deal. Our contract is up in March. If we don't have a deal by November, we'll walk out of the playoffs and cost you billions of dollars. Billions. All, our players, all our players have already been paid. We've already made the money. And so now what? The other thing that drives me crazy is 
you know, I don't know much because I've, I've like, I am not, I am like, ultimately I'm the mayor of Simpleton. Right. I mean, I know football. <laughs> I, me, there's me a few too. things. Right. I know, I know how to work hard. I know physical labor. Like that's the things I know. I know enough about history to, I believe that our independence was really created because of taxation without representation. Yeah, right? I'm a history major and that's correct. Okay, good. Uh, Boston Tea Party and all that crap. That was the, that um, was the strike point. Okay, so I would say this. Why, as a player's union, are we play, paying an athlete tax in every state that we work in? How are we represented in Kansas City when we play for Denver? How are we represented? Why am I writing a, a why am I writing them a check uh, for one, you know, whatever it is, one day out of however many that I play in Kansas City? We should just we should go over there, shake hands, and refuse to play because we're not being represented in the state of Missouri. Like I don't, I don't, I like I, I'm like why, why do this doesn't happen for other like there's a lot of people that work you know, that have a home base here in Colorado that do business other places that aren't taxed, they don't have an athlete's tax or a, hey, you're a salesperson tax? Like, I don't, sales I don't tax. Right. I don't understand why athletes get taxed and aren't represented in those states. I mean, you, you got it. You had, to, you had to file eight tax returns yep. when you played. So I, I, that part, I don't, I don't necessarily understand it. Maybe I'm like, maybe I'm stupid. Maybe that, maybe everybody has to do that, but you know, there's a reason they call the, there's a reason they call the athletes stats. Like why, why do we not have balls enough to say we're bringing in over the course of that weekend, we're bringing a hundred million dollars into your state. That's not enough for you guys. I, I just, again, it, it things that things that don't make sense to me. So let's go full circle here. This morning, I'm listening to you on the fan, and I, I mm -hmm. text you. There's a there's a rift in here about I'd say three weeks ago before Connor went back to New York. Connor and Jensen are both, you know, Ryan signed a four year, fifty seven million dollar contract with Tampa, and it was incredible. And Connor signed a three year, thirty million dollar deal with the Jets, and it was incredible. And then we've got Sam Jones in here and Quinn Bailey and Schlotman, and they're all getting down. And Sam got drafted and cut. He's an indie now. And Quinn Bailey has been on and off the roster, and he's an undrafted guy from Arizona State, played with Sam. He's in here busting his ass. And Schlotman is, you know, an undrafted kid from TCU, and he started some games and been a good player for Denver. And the I would just I, – I brought it up on purpose. Like, what do you guys think about the CBA and, and the way it was voted on and the way you guys came to this agreement? and the veterans and the strife there between the, the younger players. And then how, how are you guys going to vote on, on going back to, to work? And both the veterans who have bread and security, they don't even want to go until training camp. And it's not, I don't think they don't want to go until training camp because of COVID. I think they don't want to go until training camp because they're old. Um, <laughs> the young uh -huh. guys, the young guys want to go to work now, and I can relate to that because that's the position I was in my whole career. If I don't go to work and get my reps, how are they going to see me as a future member of this football team? So I think there's legitimate strife between guys in the NFL who have a lot of bread and security and the guys who are trying to get it. 
And it's amazing to me to see it flip from getting it or wanting to get it to getting it and how the mindset changes. And again, it's the owners and the way it's set up. It's like they're intentionally, they intentionally set it up this way. So there would be strife and jealousy. So the union is never really secured as it, as it has synergy together, Mark. Like there's always going to be in 2011, brother, I watched them stand out in front of one NFL way there in, in Manhattan with Drew Brees and Tom Brady and Ray Lewis and all these like premier players in the NFL. And there was not one practice squad guy there in the negotiations to, to have a say. So do you think that they're intentionally d- dividing the players and how long are they going to do it like this? I mean, it, it, when are the players mm-hmm. going to actually come together until we're, until we're not a house divided as a players union, how are we ever going to attack 32 billionaires? We're, we're not. I mean, the, the, the bottom line is we're just not, they're smarter than we are. And they rely on the fact that you can say whatever you want, but the majority of guys in the National Football League are three paychecks away from financial disaster. I was just like, time. yep, yeah, just like every other American for the most part. Yep. And, 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 and that's unfortunate. I know people don't want to hear that, but when you're a young player and you're making, you know, you're making a fraction of what Vaughn Miller is making, but you still try to live the lifestyle that Vaughn Miller is living, right? <laughs> You run out of money quickly and they know, they know this. This is the other thing that I talked to the union about before the collective bargaining agreement. You realize you're creating, you're going to create a class system and it's, and it's happened. There's a two class system for the most part in the NFL. There are the haves and the have nots. I call it the 80, 20 rule where 20% of the guys make 80% of the money and the other 80% are fighting over 20% of the money. And what you end up doing is you pay these exorbitant amounts for your wide receiver, you know, your core position players, and then all your backup players, what you try to do is get by with a rookie and you pray, you get on bended knee and you pray that that guy never has to play because you know, he can't play, but you keep him on your roster and you turn over your roster 35% every year. When I first came in the league and I was playing for Joe Gibbs Man, we had dudes hidden in the ceiling tiles. I played with Big Ray Brown. I don't know if you remember Big Ray Brown. Oh, Big Ray Brown. Unbelievable guard. He played for like 20 years. Buffalo, Washington, unbelievable player. San Francisco for a long time. Big Ray Brown came in the league in 1987. Big Ray Brown never got into a game until 1992. So he was, he left, he, he came in with the Cardinals. He came over to the Redskins in 89. So he was 87 and 88 with the Cardinals, 89, 90, 91, 92 was the first year that Big Ray Brown got into a game. Then he became a starter the next year. And then he played for, he, he ended up playing Forever. for 20 years, yep. starting, you know, starting the last I guess, 13, 14 years of his career, but he played for 20 years. And we used to keep guys on our roster all the time. I mean, it was like there were dudes all over the place and they were veteran guys because you used to pay them a little bit more money knowing that, hey, Russ Grimm can't start 16 games anymore. His body is broken. It will break down. 
But man, if we need him to come in for three grant games, he'll dispense justice for three games until our guy gets healthy. And we had a bunch of dudes like that. And now the league has has created the situation where they play, they pay the big time players a bunch of money, and then they have a bunch of guys who one don't have aren't talented enough, aren't good enough, aren't like and and, and don't make any money. I mean, think think about. You're like offensive line wise, dude. You keep a bunch of young players that can't play on your offensive. You have one or two injuries, man, and now all of a sudden, right? And now all of a sudden, you've got a million, a hundred million dollar quarterback, and you're putting him in harm's way. It just the whole. It's so out of whack, and and it really, for me, it really started when we agreed because, again, like you said, young guys weren't represented. We're agreeing to a rookie wage scale for guys coming in that have no no ability to negotiate. Those they guys can't are still sit there college. and be like, "I don't want to do this." Yeah, and we're going, and we're going. We'll negotiate on their behalf, and we're going to screw them. All right, good. You know, I mean, and again, like you said, everybody who's there is an upper echelon player that's played for a long time. Um, just it just was not. I mean, I, I just don't think it was thought out very well at all from our union. But you know, that's. Uh, I mean, that's pretty typical. Pretty typical. The great Mark Left joins us here on episode 110 of McChesney and Chain on DMVR, and we roll into the Denver Broncos talking about development and young players. Denver's full of developing young players, and on paper they look real good, man. I like the defense and the experience. I like the young offense. I, I like Bulls being an all-pro. I think Riser should get locked down. I like Cush. I think the right guard spot is open for competition. I think that they should really look at how much money they're paying Glasgow. He's good, but he's not very consistent. Uh, I think the right tackle, if, if Penny Sewell's there at nine, I, I'd like to draft him, but that's just the lineman in me. It all comes back full circle to three. And I've listened to a lot of your opinions on Drew Locke, and I agree with a lot of it. And I wanted to ask you this. Pat Schumer and the the express that he's been on, being damn near a coach on every team. I'm not saying he's a bad coach. I'm saying the scheme and the three-wide, four-wide stuff and trading in Janovich and not committing to smash-mouth football to support your quarterback is not the proper way to do things, in my opinion. How in the hell are they going to go and, and get, be a playoff contender in the AFC West of all divisions if they don't have an offseason and Drew Locke's not there? I mean, Peyton Manning's not his coach. He can help him as much as he wants. But, I mean, I, I can sit around and be like, hey, I, I've had Stink in the gym a couple of times. He's helped me uh, learn some, some, you know, counters and how to, you know, stop Warren Sapp's, you know, reverse backhand move and all that shit. But it was like twice. And, and you know, and that's my point is, I think a lot of this is posturing and how in the hell are they actually going to sell this bill of goods to us again? Yeah, I, I think, I think it's really, I think it's really interesting. Like I, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in having an identity and I think, yeah, yeah, I think every team has to have an identity and players need to know what that identity is. It needs to be preached. It needs to be worked upon. And I would. I can ask anybody who covers the Broncos on a regular basis, yourself, me, anybody, what is the Broncos' offensive identity? And nobody can tell me what it is. Three so by I one. think that, yeah, I think there are a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think there are a lot of, 
of coaches in this league who call plays but don't call an offense. And there's a big difference, right? Yeah. You, you call plays for the sake of calling plays. And sometimes you're going to have an explosion because every play you call works. But the good coaches call plays or call, call an offense. So they call a play to set up something three plays down the road and they're thinking about it or to set up something in the quarter to create an explosive. And I asked somebody, I asked a, a guy who plays for the Niners about Kyle Shanahan and what sets him apart as a play caller. And the guy told me, listen, he'll tell us on Wednesday what he's going to call, why he's going to call it, why he needs buy-in from us, and what the result is going to be if we buy in. And he will say, I am going to call this play in this particular game six times. And this play is not worth a squirt of piss. <laughs> We're going to average two yards a carry. But we've got four explosives in the passing game. We're going to get off of this play, off the play action, the adjunct play action to this. Yes. And listen, Kittle, if you block it, I'm going to get you one. And Emmanuel Sanders, if you block it, I'm going to get you one. And Ayuka, if you block it, I'm going to get you one. And if you sell out, use check, and you block it, I'm going to get you an explosive. And at the end of the day, every one of you guys is going to compile statistics. And we're going to beat the shit out of this team. Yep. And everybody goes, well, they did, I'm man. in. They were crushed. And I, listen, I have seen it with Mike Shanahan. I have lived it. This is what we're going to get. Let me tell you what's going to happen before it happens. We're going to line up in this. We've run this. You know, we've run 19 handoff four six times, and we're going to line up in this, and this is the way they're going to play it. They're going to rotate the safeties down weak, you know, and, and you know, expecting the cut back, and we're going to hit them with this play, and it's going to be a 70-yard touchdown. And I'm telling you what, as sure as I'm sitting here, bam, it hits third quarter touchdown and all of a sudden we're up 17 and you're like oh it's over is that, is open that the, the is that the play action shot in, in the second super bowl the rod yeah that was a that was a play action shot where where mike as a matter of fact you could hear him on the sideline go oh we got it we got the look we, we got, got the look yeah. yeah that was off of uh, i think that was off of uh, a fake 18 hand a fake 18 handoff uh, or a play pass 18 handoff so yeah i, I mean it's yeah, it, it is the way that the great play callers call an offense as opposed to calling plays. And um, and I see it in this league. I see it in this league a ton. I talk to a lot of – I mean, I talk to a lot of head coaches. So I, I got – you know, like I said, I've got some guys who have really become good friends. And it's fascinating to – just to have conversations with the guys who are really good at it and then have conversations with the guys that are trying to figure it out. So is Pat Schumer and the who I don't even know who the quarterback coach is don't care if is Pat Schumer responsible for Drew Locke's development right now or is Drew Locke responsible for Drew Locke's development right now because I, I watch him on tape and I'm going to use this example I sit in here in the lab and I, I watch the all twenty two in the back view and and I'm, I'm watching them against Atlanta in Atlanta last year and I'm watching Atlanta run pirate zone drop the backside Don Capers old school stack blitzes. And we can't pick it up. We're not pointing the right guy. There's no communication between the O-line and the quarterback. The next week, they're in Vegas. 
I watched the same shit happen. The guy's coming off the corner. He could easily point him and slow things down and use the play clock, but there's no communication between the quarterback and the center. If, if Drew Locke doesn't know what over Sam stack is and what nickel stack is and three for or three receivers, four defenders, and he can't Mike point the most dangerous. If he doesn't know these things, isn't it on Schumer to teach him? And yeah. where's the disconnect here? Because I'm, I'm a meathead D lineman, Mark, and I learned all of it. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think it's really that difficult to do it the right way. And I watch great quarterbacks do it constantly and use the entire play clock. And I don't understand how that process can't be taught to a guy who plays quarterback. I don't get it. Right. Yeah. I, I think there's, I think like not making excuses, but just giving reasons. Here's a kid that for six years, he's yep. had six different coordinators, right? Six different languages that you have to learn. Six different philosophical approaches to the game. Drew Locke told me flat out, he goes, my years in Missouri, I didn't have to know protections. Everything was seven man. Everything was seven man protection. And we just threw it deep. I never had a, I never had a point out of Mike. I didn't have, to, I didn't like Missouri was, I mean, it's, it is, you know, it's rudimentary at best. Yep. And, you know, you, you see, you see, you know, a game in Carolina where they played really well, but you see a, a weak side, you know, a weak side pressure where, um, you've got two blockers and a free release by your back and you got three rushers and you don't know who the, you don't know who the guys got, you know, they, they pinch down, they take away the rusher rusher. They leave the most dangerous man or the, they leave the widest man free. And all you got to do is flip it over to your back and you're out of a, a negative play. Instead, you take a sack, it fumbles, they return it down to the one yard line. And the next thing you know, in a game that should be a runaway, it's now a all of a sudden it's a, it's a ball game again yep. because you don't understand protection. Um, that's, that's on coaches, but a lot of that is on a guy that like, again, a guy that, that has never been able to be in a, in the same offense for one, one solid year. And every, all these concepts, one stacks upon another stacks upon another. And, you know, when, when you're like, when you're, it's the paralysis by analysis, when you're sitting out there going, okay, what do I got to do? What do I got to do? And, and you're trying to meld those offenses together. I, I just think that's a really hard thing. You yeah, listen, you can get better. You know, accuracy to me, Matt, is and I, I talked to my son about, you know, who was a, a, a major league pitcher. I talked to him all the time about just about throwing mechanics and things of that nature. And I've really become convinced that accuracy is not so much about talent or about, you know, you're just born accurately. Um, some more than others. Accuracy is really about timing, rhythm, and knowing what you're doing, knowing what you see, right? And so if you're late with the, like, for instance, if, you're, if your body gets ahead of your, uh, your arm as a pitcher, what ends up happening with pitchers, you've seen this too, like you can't stay behind the baseball. You can't stay compact, right? So what ends up happening is you get ahead of the ball. You pull your head, your arm gets long, and now you either do one thing. You're either high and outside or you're pulling it low and in the dirt, right? One of those two things happen. When you're late with the football because you're not quite sure what you're seeing, now what happens? You know inherently that you're late. So Jump. all of a sudden you're like, <laughs> right? Instead of staying behind the ball and just, you know, and just throwing through the ball, now all of a sudden it's, you pull your head 
and you're either highing over the top of your receiver, which he is all the pulling, time, or you're pulling it in the dirt. And so when I watch him mechanically, um, especially outside the numbers, he's just late all the time. And late all the time creates inaccuracy. It creates bad hip movement, right? You don't stay, you open up your hip, you don't stay closed because you're late. So it makes you automatically open up, flail open. And as soon as you open up, you're inaccurate. Watch him in the middle of the football field because he stays compact and his hips stay closed. He's, he's really accurate usually on like deep crosses or anything in the middle of the football field if they're just running some type of curl or whatever in the middle. He's really accurate on that stuff. It's outside the numbers. He's usually late, and those things result in bad throws. And that's you know that to me is is more about understanding and knowing what you're doing um, than it is physical ability. He's got all the physical ability in the world. The great Mark Schlereth, uh, thanks so much, brother, for coming on the show. Episode 110 of McChesney on Chain, talking about the Denver Broncos and. Strike between the vets and the rookies and then the young guys and the offseason and so much more. You can hear Mark on the fan every single morning, uh, him and Mike Evans down there spitting truth. And then obviously uh, one of the best play-by-play announcers out there for uh, for every one of your games out there on Sundays. Uh, so, Mark, thank you so much, brother, for coming on the show and spitting some knowledge and some truth at Unchained Nation. And I will definitely get you down here to the new gym uh, as fast as humanly possible. I can't wait, man. Always great to catch up, Matt. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Dink.